in a world in the year 2017 in a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force in the deep south Welcome back to Late Fees, where it's all movies in, some movies out. <laughs> I am Justin, here with Pafifi, and Eric Cam is, of course, on location with the folks for holidays, uh, and we are all splintered off as well in, in a very depressing uh, L.A. skyline this, this week. Yeah, this is uh, our most remote recording ever. Cam will be back with us in the next episode. We'll be talking. We're, we're going to be talking about the uh, the best uh, movies of the of the of the year, right? Next episode. Yeah, I think that's when our, our it's usually well the one time we've ever done it before is when it comes out. Yeah, because we we haven't. I know you guys haven't seen everything. I have surprisingly lapped you guys this year in that I've seen, a lot. Yeah. yeah Eric, I've seen everything. Eric blacked off big time for him. What just like quantity wise? Yeah. 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 I, I don't know, man. It um it, it was an odd year that I just didn't feel like inspired. like I wasn't excited by anything until the past few months where I was like, I'm just gonna go uh see a bunch of movies. But yeah, I I, I definitely had a slow burn this year. But the I don't know I'm like looking at my top five now and I'm like very happy with it, but for the yeah. first time like all year. Yeah, my top ten is basically fleshed out. Like I have a pretty solid top ten, but I didn't. I don't know. I, I think I was just a little more judicious this year. Like I didn't just go see random shit like I usually do. I just I don't know. I uh, and I probably missed out on some like sleepers that way, but I don't know. Yeah, what can um, you do? Well, you you saw Shazam. And I felt as though that was the one movie I wanted you to see. But you didn't <laughs> yeah. see that. That's yeah, it's true. Like you 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 had been singing Shazam's praises all year and you know, I kinda do have superhero fatigue, but I was like, I'll get to it because you know, you're pretty honest about when these things suck and when they don't. And you kinda lit up behind the eyes when Shazam came out. And I was like, I'll get to it and I finally got to it last night or two nights ago on HBO. Yeah, I was gonna say it's on HBO, right? Yeah, and uh, I sent you guys that little emoji breakdown. I was like, the first half or first thirty minutes, I was like, eh, okay, I, I get it. It's it's sweet and silly. It's you know, kind of like a kid oriented, um, like childlike wonder story. And then it just becomes this gruesome, dark, really uh, macabre PG thirteen movie. I was like, holy shit, go off! Like, there's some really great kills. And then I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, they, I still have to see it, but they just finally greenlit the Black Adam movie, didn't they? Yeah, that's tw- that's twenty twenty one, and then Shazam. Actually, Wayne. Yeah, Sam, and then Shazam two is in twenty twenty two. Eric Black Adam is like a guy who kind of exists with Shazam's powers in the same universe, but The Rock has been trying to play him like since for, like ten years he started for like ten years. He's been trying to do this, uh, and it's it's finally happening. Is it Shane Black? I heard Shane Black was attached. 
I don't uh, maybe think so. maybe at one point he was. If it's if it's the Rock, if it's Dwayne and seven seven pounds, seven dollars, whatever it's called, they're, they're probably going to find someone that's going to relent to the Rock's uh, every need. So yeah, it's going to be whoever has like ghost written the last ten Rock movies. Yeah, but I mean, Shazam, really good movie. I think that it, it again it kind of scratched the superhero itch for me. I think honestly, probably the best movie of that of that type uh this year but also just a really good story like there's a there's some really heartbreaking stuff in the uh in the third act as well yeah so um the the familial the familial drama that i sort of like you know scoffed at in the first 30 minutes kind of comes full circle and punches you in the gut i was oh yeah it's really well acted and it's surprisingly sweet and like i was telling you guys like the the humor that Marvel and Star Wars have sort of like run into the ground, like the quip fest that is so grating. It's a, uh, this wasn't present like this, the, uh, the humor felt really naturalistic in like how kids would talk to a grown up kid. Like it was, it was, it was sharp. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we should like not lay this off and, and wait any longer. Eric, you mentioned Star Wars, of course, yeah. Star Wars, uh, the rise of Skywalker dropped, uh, last weekend, uh, to, a pretty uh, mixed response, if you will. <laughs> it's fucking insane. I yeah. No one, I mean, nobody likes it. No, well, people, the, I feel like the people that do say that they like it, they're they're pulling the, uh, the, the good old conservative, you walked in wanting to hate it. Yeah, I know people who walked in wanting to like it and didn't fucking like it very much. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think people were necessarily. These are movies that are part of pop culture, and no matter what, they're going to see it. You know, so I don't yeah. think that there's a there isn't a, a, a anti Star Wars brigade that just wants this movie to fail or wanted it to fail. Unless you're talking about those small pocket of the what they call tier three Star Wars fans who were basically just incels who didn't like uh, the the Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean, I don't like The Last Jedi, but not for the same reasons as, as those guys. And contrary to popular belief, I was saying this just as I was going into Rise of Skywalker, I don't want any of the movies to be bad. I would much rather they were all good. I'm not rooting for any of these to be bad. Uh, but it was amazing at just how much worse Star Wars was in this case at even doing like the endgame thing. What if, what if, and bear with me here, you, uh, you know, might want to sit down for this. What if Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger have no idea what the fuck they're doing? Uh, <laughs> I think you might be right. And, and, and I mean, you're absolutely right. Because when you when you look at it, like, and I think I said this in, in, a, in a letterbox review that I wrote for this. It's like, it's so funny that like Endgame, for as much as I didn't like it, everything in that movie was earned. It was like at least a proficient. It was a proficiently made product, even if it was a product more than it was a. Movie. Even if it was cynical, even if it was yeah. cynical, this, this was just this, so stupid. It's just it's, this movie's just cynical. It's 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 very cynical. It's very mean. It's like it's almost like a huge subtweet to like yeah. everyone that didn't like the last movie. Yeah, it's what uh, what happens, That's, Eric? Did you say? No, I was saying like that. Uh, I'm glad Justin said that. Like I haven't seen the movie, but that is the future of studio blockbusters now is they are all going to be subtweets to one another it is all these directors are extremely online jj abrams disney has basically spent half a billion dollars just shitting on ryan johnson like yeah I, it, it's it's the weirdest most cynical like creatively bankrupt way to approach art and like 
I would say like you guys know I'm a broken record when it comes to Disney and these movies, how, you know, they're just like this hostile monoculture is destroying art. But like, I don't want, I was to echo what Pat said. I don't want these movies to suck either. It bums me out that these movies aren't event movies anymore. We used to be excited when a star Wars movie came out. Even now three just, years now, ago. Now they're, now they're just background noise. Like they just, I didn't know what was even coming out this month. Cause it's like, they just come out now. They shit them out when it's like culturally appropriate to be like, well, all right, you've waited six months. So here's your little fix. And, and me and like, me and some friends were saying anybody who wanted to like a star Wars thing, this quarter of the year they got mandalorian it's a huge success people love it i mean people have said like yes this is the thing that scratched my star wars itch this time around i didn't need this movie and it yeah. is depressing like how like what you just said is incredibly accurate but eric even you would be shocked at how much worse this star wars movie was than any Marvel property. It doesn't even come close to this. And I, and I think that what the difference is between them is that every, as much as we like dislike these movies, every Marvel movie is like, it's a diff, it's different. Like Winter Soldier isn't really the same as, you know, uh, Doctor Strange, you know? They're, they're yeah. successfully the same, but different. Yeah, they're different. And these Star Wars movies, they're, they all follow the same conceit, or at least this this generation of them has, where it's like, find a thing. Then you find the yeah. thing. Like there is literally a part in Rise of Skywalker where they have to find a thing. And I'm sorry, like minor spoiler, whatever. You've probably already seen it. They find the thing, and it gets and they break it and right on camera. You spend yeah. the first hour trying to find this thing. I swear to God, Eric, if you saw this with me, you would have wanted to leave. They, they as soon as they find said thing, as soon as they find it, they break it on camera. And it's like you know what? The first hour didn't matter. It was just to get to this point. Well, here's here's the other crazy thing about it is that the original Star Wars trilogy is is also a lot of item quest find and go get this thing type of stuff. Like when they have to find R2D2 because he has Death Star plans in him in the very first movie, he's the most like literal representation of a MacGuffin that you could have. Yeah. But the movies act because like it's well acted and it's you know something fresh and the score is amazing and all these things, it's a fun movie. And has become a classic. This is just thing check, thing check. Yeah, we got this. And, yes. Yeah, and it, it it is just the sort of perfunctory nature of creating these, like you said, global products. Now, like they're they just they're allowed to be creatively bankrupt if they hit the right talking points or buzzwords or like zeitgeisty sort of discourse that is happening right now. I obviously don't like Marvel, as you guys know, but like at least Kevin Feige gives a shit. I'll give him one compliment. I think he actually cares about the sort of creative direction these Marvel movies go in. Even if they do become cynical cash grabs, he's better at hiding it than fucking Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy. And he, no I, I believe no he idea. thinks things can no be... What they're doing. I think he thinks things can be a cash grab and good, clean fun more than anybody on the Star Wars side seems to believe that. I, I, I would agree with that. And you can't have it both ways in that sense. Yeah. Not it, not with Star Wars, it seems. Absolutely not. It, it's really, it's just very much, like this movie, when I was watching, I was like, who was making the decision? And, and of course, you know, our, our conversation of this, we're, we're not breaking the mold here. Like, this is, these are things that are echo, but it's like, I was just like, I I found myself really agreeing with everything that was said about it more than anything. I was like, yeah. this this movie just does, it, it's aimless. It is literally trying to rush to the finish line of a story that is over 30 years in the making. 
or, or is it over four? It's over four yeah, years over in the making now. But the thing yeah. is, and I, I saw this. I'm, I'm not the one saying this. I'm regurgitating information online as we often do. But uh, it was somebody who said that with the Marvel movies, even if they are, you know, product placement movies, they still have like stories going back to classic stories going back to the 40s for hundreds of characters and star wars just has basically like a manifesto that george lucas handed them and then they threw out 95 percent of like they don't have yeah. anything to build on so the only thing they can look at is the product finish line and with marvel at least even if they're looking at the product finish line they can be like oh here is like an actual you know this the original Black Panther comic did mean something, even if what it meant is now being commodified by Disney's executives. But the right. Star Wars thing doesn't have that because it's there isn't anything like that. Yeah, and I, I don't want to, as much as I love to dogpile on creative executives and, and uh, you know corporate suits, a lot of this falls on JJ. Uh, yeah. I know A.O. Scott, the god, uh, the film critic from the New York Times, probably the last good writer over there, called jj hey it's cough innocent yeah that's true um he's he called i think in his skywalker review he called jj the most uh lauded c student ever in history <laughs> <laughs> like this guy has just skated by on making schmaltzy spielberg like ripoff like facsimiles yeah with with none of the heart and not and none of the sort of like soul that makes these things feel alive anymore it's, he just like yeah he just regurgitates these this creative blueprint that's been, like you said been handed to him by like more successful more talented creatives and well, he just gets, it, the, it, he gets it, just it, paid on these morals it pisses me off and so it's kind of like with with lost like he did on lost he created something kind of unfixable but then he had somebody uh as good as lindelof to come in and clean it up for five years on mm -hmm. star wars he had to go in and clean it up himself and it was dog shit yeah, I and and Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> even even Abrams seems like uninterested in this. Like the opening crawl, and Eric hasn't seen this. It so, is like, the funniest shit you will ever see. The opening crawl starts with the dead speak exclamation point exclamation point. I've never seen this before in a Star I, movie. I kid you not. I I was sitting next to to Parker when this started, and I was like grabbing onto him in like laughter, terror, like "Oh my god, oh no, how can this be happening already?" And it <laughs> from there just is a hundred miles an hour. Holy yeah, shit. Well, well, I mean, they introduce somebody, a character. Somebody texted me. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. So, so somebody texted me. It was like uh, they referenced my letterbox review of Knives Out, where I was kind of praising Ryan Johnson, how I wish he would just make um movies like these small self-contained movies like knives out all the time instead of being trapped on uh jj abrams abrams green screen prison um apparently like there is a plot point in the skywalker movie that like references a story beat in one of the video games and i sort of made that joke in my knives out reference and i well, was like holy shit it's actually like <laughs> eric i know you don't care at all about uh Mythos. Mythos or like spoilers for this movie. So I'll just go ahead and tell you. And if you haven't seen Rise of Skywalker and plan on it, I would skip ahead about a minute in the podcast starting right now. Uh, I'll give you a second to go ahead and do that. But Eric, the, you know, Emperor Palpatine, who's like the villain throughout all of Star Wars. Well, he, with no explanation, is back. Uh, well, that's the one that they cut in half, um, Ray and, and uh, Adam No, Harvard. that was no. a weird well, well, simile for him that existed for some reason in the first two movies. 
And apparently the only explanation for Palpatine being back is like somewhere in like a Fortnite bonus disc or something. Uh, oh my God. Like truly, truly, like you want to talk cynical, like that is yeah. it. Yeah, and that's, that's the future. That's where all these like, everything is going to have to be that now. It's, there's no... Like it's the death of narrative. Everything, no one really dies. There's just a vicious like abyss that you fall into of narrative, where it's like there, you have to there are there are no less than four death fakeouts in this movie. Yeah, people oh hell yeah, people literally die, and then two seconds later, you find out that they did not die. C-3PO's memory is wiped, and it is this emotional moment that you've seen in the trailer that you're like, oh wow, this is going to be the end of this journey. His memory is given back in 30 minutes. Yeah, and actually the character who gives his memory back uh, is one of the audience's favorite characters, and I did like him a lot too. But it's weird because he's one of the best parts of the movie, but is also one of the most obviously like manufactured oh, no, no, no. He, merchandise he, parts. Babu Frick is the one who took it away. R2 gave it, it back. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I'm sorry. I got that incredibly important. Uh, yeah. Fuck yeah, that. like, because remember, in the movie, they say, well, we don't know if R2 can bring your memory back. Yeah, yeah. Well, and no, R2 no. Brings, but R2 reboots his memory all the way to The Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Babu Frick is this, like, grumpy repairman stoner character who actually is uh, kind of funny. Yeah, uh, it, it it was literally, it, again. Let's uh, let's pivot wait. Let's pivot to Knives Out. Knives Out? Real yeah. quick before we move. Is my king Justin Thoreau ever resolved as the game no, master? No, no, no. He's, he's not even in it. He's not mentioned. Nothing from Last Jedi is mentioned, and if it is, it's treated with up, the utmost disrespect. Luke appears in this movie. I don't care about spoiler spoiler tags. Luke appears in this movie and says, "Remember what I said last movie? I, I was wrong. Forget about that." And give it, and they do it. They do a callback to remember when Luke throws the the, the saber in Last Jedi. They do a callback where uh, Ray throws the saber and Luke catches it, which is literally like, never mind. We didn't mean to do all of that. Yeah, the like, movie's very bad. I just don't get how fans, even if you really do like this stuff, and it it, 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 it does bring you some sort of nostalgic, sci-fi, fantastical joy. Like, I mean, I get it. I don't want to knock. I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. But like, you have to know that these people, these creatives, have utmost contempt for you. Like, this is so disrespectful to the intelligence of audiences. And, like, people just keep getting it spoon-fed to them. I don't, I don't get it. It's I do. This one does feel a little different. Yeah. Like, the, the, like, the wide reaction to this one does. Like, I'm, I'm honestly pretty shocked by the public reaction to it. We'll say it enough is enough, finally. Yeah. Or at least right, recognizing, like, holy shit, this one's crazy, right? <laughs> That's awesome. But Ryan Johnson did. I I didn't like it as much as you guys, but I I like Knives Out quite a bit. I didn't even realize that you've seen it. I I, th I think Knives Out will absolutely stand in the bottom half of my top ten. I, th I thought it was fun more than anything. I really did think it was fun. I th my big complaint about it was I thought the, the I loved almost everyone in the supporting cast, and I just thought they could have been utilized more slash better. Uh, but I did love watching. Craig do the foghorn leghorn, Michael Scott murder mystery party voice, and uh, yeah. Anna de Armas is great. It's going to be bizarre to watch them as love interests in Bond. Oh shit, that's right. Yeah, I, I, again, it goes back to uh, 
Ryan Johnson just needs to log off. This is such an online. This like this was. Yes. Uh, somebody said this is just Ryan Johnson's Twitter timeline grafted onto cinema uh, onto celluloid, <laughs> um, and it's kind of true. But like, it didn't take me out of it. There was a few moments where I was like, "Oh man, this is a literal argument you've had on Twitter with someone." But uh, I don't know, man. It was fun. The writing was still like it. It didn't weigh down or take the air out of the excitement and like the actual pulpy thrills of the mystery. Even though like the mystery you think is solved in front of your eyes in the first act, like when you know what Christopher Plummer has done. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, it's, it, it was a sleeper. It crept into my, it's definitely in my top 10. Michael Shannon, innocent. Yeah. Shannon, Shannon was great. I, uh, I really like the, uh, the like inside out approach to the whodunit. Yeah. Yeah. Giving a, giving it away. And like it ultimately being like, wait, what immediately? And then it never like you're, you are still waiting for like the next other shoe to drop the whole time, but it kind of does in like smaller ways along the way, rather than there being like another massive twist. Wait a minute. Yeah. I, I, I hate to go back to Star Wars. Ryan is no. doing another trilogy for them, isn't he? No, I don't think that's happened. I mean, I'd be surprised if that still happens. Because I mean, the way that they that they just shit on him. Yeah, I yeah, mean, this has been a public reckoning. I, I've never seen anything quite like it. Like, all the cast is involved, and they kind of just have to toe the corporate line. And like, they hate like, being in this fucking movie. Yeah. I, I, well, I, actually, he 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 shut down the rumor, so yeah, he's not he's not uh, doing it. Yeah, I, I would imagine that they like Good once he got a look at what was happening in this one, he was like, yeah, I don't don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, he said every day there's a new thing until it's up on StarWars.com. Don't believe it. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I I was really pleasantly surprised when uh, light spoiler um, for Knives Out. If you haven't seen it, press mute. Um, when Chris Evans is sort of revealed as to be the charming asshole who kind of takes um, uh, what's what's the lead's name again? Uh, Anna like, Armas. Yeah. Uh, takes her under his wing or his wing and like sort of rescues her from the shitty rich family. And like, we're going to be in this together. And I was like, Oh, is he doing like, they're still like, we need to reach across the aisle and work with people. Yeah. He's an asshole and a jerk and, and smug, but we need to work together with these people. But then he blows that whole argument up. Yeah, no, he's literally like the worst guy ever. Yeah. He actually is bad. And I, I thought that was a nice little, uh, like twist on a twist. Um, how about, Six underground. Oh, oh god. my god! I mean, the worst movie everyone's seen all year, easily. No, 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 it's not. What do you say is worse? Uh, Endgame. Okay. I mean, we we literally just talked. We we talked about Rise of Skywalker on this same show. I think that those movies are like at least Michael Bay isn't stupid enough to give us the worst movie of the year. I I guess that's true. I I think Six Underground just for in in the ways it's offensive might be make it worse to me than. Uh, than uh skywalker i think i'll say Rich, i'll say richard jewel and i haven't even seen it yet <laughs> yeah i i think i mean obviously in game i mean these are but you know if, if we're comparing this to products and these are just literally products yeah yeah then okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put six underground in the same thing as that but i think that there's actually a real problem with the quality control with netflix as far as how they spend their money and i think that in any other studio if they got six underground and it came past them they would have either passed and it would have been straight to DVD, which is what this movie like literally should have been. Yes. Well, and, 
and or like it, it would have been laughed out of the theaters. It wouldn't have even made any money. So, you know, stop yeah. casting Ryan Reynolds as your fucking lead, man. Well, like, here's I'm the thing. Tired I'm, I'm looking at like it was so much worse than Triple Frontier, which you know none of us thought was the best movie ever, and was also like very problematic. And I, I love I love Triple F. Well, we all wanted. We all like. We all watched it and liked it pretty much right away. And this one, we all watched and hated immediately. But Triple Frontier, if it yeah. was in the theater, the three of us may have actually gone to see it in the theater. Six Underground, we would never have gone to see. Nope. Yeah. And, and Michael Bay typically has that that trick up his sleeve that, you know, he'll, he'll manage this very surreptitious way to surprise us and be like oh that michael bay he's he's a lunatic and probably and, you know very racist but man these uh, <laughs> that, that's a hell of an action sequence or he'll he'll do he'll have like one or two of those moments in the movie and yeah there are a, some pretty incredibly just chaotically staged action sequences that are impressive like that final building chase fight scene and then the, with the giant magnet that was pretty dope but um this this was just more repellent than usual. Like even his best movies, like Pain and Gain, they're nasty, nasty movies to watch. But there's something, there's like a there's marrow to it. Like you, you like Pain and Gain is incredible, even though it is an unpleasant watch. This is just unpleasant, and yeah. there's no redeeming qualities. And yeah, putting fucking Deadpool in the center to m try to like make it all palatable is like makes it even worse to me honestly if dave franco had been in the ryan reynolds role the movie would have been still bad but twice as interesting well the first the first 20 minutes of this movie seemed like it would never end i felt like we were yeah. going to be in this forever and <laughs> i was like i think it was eric texted us right before you watch it first i think eric and you were like check this out the first 20 minutes is absolutely the most insane thing ever and it truly is yeah. unreal there is a part where, and, and I follow Nigel Houston on, on Instagram, and um, there's a part where the the, the, the acrobat guy and the uh, I forgot what his number was in, in the movie. Uh, yeah, and in fact, this movie should be we have we buried the lead completely. This movie is about people who fake their deaths uh, under the leadership of a billionaire who faked his death. So he's like <laughs> he's like Batman with guns for he's real. Like, he's like if Elon Musk were Deadpool. Exactly. So, yeah. so the parkour guy that he's recruited and made to fake his death and forget his family, he skateboards down uh, a staircase with a machine with an assault rifle. And so I, I, you know, I saw that I was like, this is really so. They're just offending everyone, including skateboarders, right? Like they're offending every single everyone across the board at this point. And I saw Nigel Houston, who who is like one of the the highest paid skateboarders of all time. You know, he's been, <laughs> he's been doing it since he was a child. He's watching this movie on his stories, and he's like, yeah, bro, real cool, bro. And I was like, yep. <laughs> I, I knew that this wouldn't get the response that, he, that, that Michael Bay wanted it to get. Yeah, he wanted it to be like like uh, X Games, Red Bull, like uh, just like this cool sort of like bro movie. And not and even the bros were like rejecting this movie. It's like and, – and it just shows you what a like nihilist Michael Bay is to have uh, – James Frank or uh, Dave Franco in it, and to die like it, there's nothing new about having a big star die unceremoniously in your movie, but like he didn't even get like a close up or like a final word. He just crashes his car, and that's the last you see him. He's like dead. Yeah. He's like yeah. he's just dead, and it's like Michael Bay does not give a fuck. But yeah, it's it, the the moral of the story is uh, billionaires will lead us to commit you know good, good crimes, good the good crimes. crimes. 
and good coups. Yeah, the good kind, uh, the noble kind of coups uh, off the grid, and that's just the future of uh, mercenary killing. <laughs> well, well, hold on. Can we get to the magnet gag in the movie that lasts for twenty minutes? I check off magnet. It didn't. It couldn't have made less sense to me. The magnet thing is simultaneously the stupidest and also the most violent thing I've ever seen in my life. The the shit flying through the air and cutting people up was absolutely nuts. Like, I watched Bad Boys 2 yesterday, and that movie, <laughs> to me, looks is tamer than Six Underground. And that movie is violent. It actually got a lot of flack. I was telling my girlfriend about this. Like, this movie got a lot of flack for the, for the cadaver scene. Remember when they had the cadavers flying out of the, the, the car? You're talking about oh, yeah, Bad Boys. Yeah, yeah. And Bad Boys, yeah. And I was like, this movie, if this was to come on theaters, imagine what people would have said about it. Like, there's literally people's brains being splattered. And and the, and he leaves the camera on it for more than five seconds sometimes. Yeah, it's uh, – I don't think this movie would have done well theatrically. No, absolutely not. I think Bay might be done. Yeah, yeah he yeah. doesn't have much gas left in the tank. I mean, it, this one just felt more nihilistic than usual. I know I keep using that descriptor, but, like, it – to to slow-mo zoom on like everybody like he made a point to see show every pedestrian who got hit by a car during those cars yeah, like heads heads rolling under tires families getting mowed down as these cars are whipping through italy like it wasn't enough just to have like one body fly in there there was like 30 i think more there's more civilian casualties in that opening chase scene than bad guys dying. <laughs> just like absolutely, and then maybe that maybe there's like a point, like he's like making a point about like this is like Team America, like uh, just destroying the world as the the puppets, you know, blow up the Eiffel Tower or whatever. This was this was literally like he saw Team America and he was like, nothing wrong with that. Who thinks yeah. Ryan Reynolds is hot anymore? I do, used to do, think do, he was do. so hot, but now it's like he's not. Do women think he's actually sexy? Because like, I think it's, I don't think he's that like not anymore, right? Like it's not like, a thing. He, he's like fucking chicks in this movie, and I'm like, these chicks wouldn't be going for him. Like, what, yeah. what is this? It's, it's it's really weird to see. Like, this is Ryan Reynolds' dad. He's like a dad. He's making dad movies now. Yeah, yeah. Like, and Cap- it's like a fantasy. Yeah, ca- capital D dad movies where it's like I'm in my 40s now. It, I didn't. My star power didn't really blow up until i turned like 39 so he's really only been (laughs) oh my god and there was there was something something in this that was so eye-rolly that like he kept saying like millennials didn't know about this certain thing he kept referencing what was it oh my god leave it to beaver i mean i hate when they do like not only is there this like ant like overarching anti-millennial sentiment that just doesn't make any sense to anyone that, but that's really but that i think the millennial thing is michael bay talking to the audience yes i think I but yes. why do it with leave it to beaver something that like like my sister who's 21 knows what leave it to beaver is like it, yeah. it, it's not a thing that's the ultimate dad you know that's the ultimate dad maneuver to be wrong to be loudly wrong about a point regarding millennials like yeah there's tons of stuff millennials are uncultured about that is not the one yeah, we've heard of your, the cleavers <laughs> yeah you're, you're you're getting your own you're getting your own thesis statement wrong you fucking idiot <laughs> so, yeah and and to and to funnel that direct through ryan reynolds who's a gin xer who's now doing boomer dad movies it's just like this this embarrassing cycle of like just cringy boomer shit there's it's no much so boomer. cringe michael you're posting cringe posting cringe bro it's uh yeah it's so much boomer energy yeah and it's that's ryan reynolds now like he's gonna this is this is his cruising altitude now and uh 
Yeah, we got we got ten more years of that to look forward to. Thank God. <laughs> well, as long as Netflix provides what they what they want, uh, what, yeah, what, what he wants from them. Um, right. Did we talk about the Irishman? That was I was gonna say before we jump into the main event movie, we got to talk about uh, Irishman. Uh, instant instant classic from your boy Marty Scores. Uh, I was not expecting to like it this much. Same man, it hit, it hit it hit me in all the right tummy places, and just a beautifully rendered portrait of aging and and family and sort of being consumed by the one thing you're good at as everything else around you crumbles and you don't even realize it's crumbling until you're disintegrating because you're so old. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I think about that final shot of the movie every day. Like, yeah, the, the, the priest kind of walking out him, just this lonely, broken old man who's going to die alone. Uh, I love the I love the door being cracked where it's like yeah, you know that's yeah. literally the, the door is almost shut on, on this on this lifestyle and and it did shut and I think that again people were I, I'll admit that it wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be but I did see some some sentiment about the Marvel comments that he made and it's just like listen he made it better he made a better Avengers than they they ever could have made yeah, and that, he literally yeah. made like the yeah, the I mean, Avengers I mean, of gangster movies yeah Are you guys still there Sorry. yeah yeah I don't worry here. Yeah, and it, that just to I didn't even want to harp on on the the Marvel thing because what he wrote in the Times was just like so perfect and just echoed the sentiment that we all know is true, but we have to pretend that it isn't to like placate the feelings of these you know imagine yeah imagine imaginationless incels, but there was just to come with this three and a half hour epic, like no one wants to sit around for that long. Like, I mean, granted I broke it into two, like I, I watched an hour and a half in the morning, an hour and a half at night and it did not ruin the momentum for me. It's just, all of it has to be there. Like none of it felt fluffy or, or sort of just un, unwarranted. Like all three hours meant something and that that's a rare feat to accomplish. I think it does feel a little repetitive at points, but I think the repetition speaks to the, overall thesis of the movie more than it feels redundant yes. yeah it's like yeah it's an inescapable cycle that these guys are in and yeah they they're being they're watching the guys who get killed got off easy like they that's they wish they got killed. yeah they, instead they have to die alone and watch everyone either they alienate themselves or they're hated by their loved ones all their friends die first it's just a brutal, brutal, painful existence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about totally unexpected one time for uh, Ray Romano? Yeah, he was great in the movie. I thought <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. He, he was, I just think everything. This is everything now where he's come through and just really surprised me, like a small, understated performance. He did the same thing in The Big Sick. He was my favorite part of The Big Sick. I, I still have to see it, actually. Wow, you're like two years late. I know. I know. I, you guys know I never like that, that level of comedy is like the thing I see very last. Yeah. Well, so, so what? What do you guys think? I mean, where are you guys sitting as far as like your movies of the decade right now? Of the decade? Yeah. Where are you sitting? Uh, I I don't know. I, I mean, I'd have to listen to our episode from earlier this year. And are you, are you gonna change? Are you gonna change? Or is it gonna uh, I, the I would say that uh, the top three for that my current top three, which would be Hollywood Irishman and Uncut Gems, uh, I would say would all be contenders for a a decade list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I completely agree. Um, I, I would have to go back. Like, I, I haven't really done the full decade deep dive for like albums or movies yet, but I know, I know Moonlight is up there. I know The Handmaiden is up there. I know Pop Star is up there. Mad Max, Once Upon a Time, has to be in there too. Yeah, for the decade. Um, that's. I mean, there's like Uncut Gems too. Like you said, these are all contenders, but I can confidently say. Once Upon a Time is, is in the decade list. Yeah, you know? I mean, Once Upon a Time is one of my favorite movies ever. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, you watch you. I I joke that Pat watched Once Upon a Time more than he saw movies this year. Yeah, I I really have only seen it three times. But <laughs> no, you know you have. You're you're making it sound good right now. <laughs> I've watched clips a few more times than that. Oh my god. Um. So the main event. We're, we're what we're gonna do here. We're gonna we're gonna table this part as the first half of the show. So we're going to talk about, after the break, we're going to talk about Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. We're going to run through his illustrious, his illustrious career, pardon me, and we're going we're gonna to get down to the bottom of, of the biggest conversation and question right now. Is Uncut Gems a Christmas movie? Don't answer yet. <laughs> we're going to talk about it after the break on Late Fees, Holiday Edition. We'll be right back. It took me fucking 17 months to get this thing, okay? Just look at this. Hang on for a second. Go through my look. Be careful. That's my best look. All right? I want you to look. Look at it. You really ain't right to That's history right there. You understand? How many carrots is this? What? Four, five thousand carrots? Three thousand dollars a carrot? I'm not fucking bullshitting you. Why does it got so many colors in it, man? What is this? That's the thing. They say you can see the whole universe in Nobles. That's how fucking old they are. Holy I've been telling you, that's what I want you to see. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah. 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 From stone to stone, Garnett's a stone, you know that. That's a million dollar opal you're holding, straight from the Ethiopian Jewish tribe. I mean, this is old school, Middle Earth shit. You got a motherfucking dinosaur gym in this man. Yeah, dinosaurs, that's right. The dinosaurs fucking snared at this That's a sign for that. I need this. That's a sign. That's a sign for that. I need this. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of weight you're That's a sign. I need this. I need this. That's not for sale. I can't. I can't sell it to you. What do you mean it's not for sale? I can't do it. That. God damn it. I. It's set for auction. I. I can't. Why the fuck would you show me something if I couldn't have it then? The fuck would you bring this out? Well, let me hold it for a night then. Right? Let me wait till the game. It'll be cool. You know, I'm going to the game. Maybe I'll grab it from you. Then I'll meet you at Addy's tomorrow morning, first thing. Cool. Boom. Boom. Just like yeah. that. It's perfect. Ow, come on. Seriously? I can't. They'll pull it from the auction. Seriously? You don't understand. This, this stone I'm really connecting with. This man, I feel like I'm going to have 40 or 50 on this, man. Man, boy. You understand that? You understand that? I'm talking about how this shit's speaking to him. I'm gonna destroy Philly tonight with this. Yeah. Bitch ass nigga. This fucking thing makes me feel like I can fly. Yeah, I right. hear that. Yeah. yeah. Come on. You're going to at me at Howie Blank. Yes. 30 fucking picks. I'm yes. like, I got you. talking about at me. All that. I got you. All that. That's a good idea. All that. Come here. Look at Come here. Come here. Hold it up. Look at Give me that bitch, too. Yeah. Oh. 
All right, we are back on late fees. Adam Sandler slash a little bit of holiday flair. We don't usually talk about current movies like this much, so uh, we haven't really had a chance to do our like major catch up for the year. Yeah, from like Thanksgiving, there, there's been stuff we would have talked about at the beginning of episodes if we would have been able to talk about it. Yeah, well, actually, one thing we are missing before we get to Adam Sandler again, we didn't talk about Watchmen. Oh yeah, uh, one of the best shows of the decade. We talk about decade, one of the best shows of the decade. And and you know what's crazy about it is that you and I, Pat, and I think we had like kind of like a funny situation with Watchmen. It, it, it premiered right after we finished uh, Righteous Gemstones, right? Yeah, and. In a lot of ways, we were like, we were like, should we do the show? And we were like, ah, uh, no, we want our Sundays back, right? Yeah. So we were like, okay, first episode, we we're like, man, this is good. The second episode, we we're like, yeah, this is this is kind of really good. And then yeah. the third episode, we were like, oh man, we were kind of like, did we kind of hedge our bets and do the wrong show on Sundays? Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing was is, and uh, you know, obviously, it immediately, I, I I wanted to believe it wouldn't be true, and immediately was clear that it wasn't true. But especially in, after the Watchmen was still premiering. It's it feels like 2017 at this point, but Watchmen was still premiering in the post Joker society. Yeah, and obviously we've talked about on this podcast before how wrong the statement that Watchmen was a pro cop show in any way is. But it was a little bit touch and go at the beginning there. Like we didn't want to commit to nine episodes of something that after four episodes it was like oh oh no yeah. But, uh, should have trusted Lindelof, my favorite showrunner of all time. Three for three. Yeah, I, it, was, it was it was the show was enchanting. I mean, it was so good. It was just so audacious and fresh in a way that I hadn't seen in any sort of genre before in quite some time. Like, you know, I, I sing the leftovers praises often and always because that show felt like nothing like I'd ever seen before, just thematically and, and just the huge, huge creative swings that it took, like having some of it take place in this purgatorial, you know, way station and, and a hotel where you're seeing karaoke, like on paper, it sounds like the most hacky hokey stuff, but it's executed in this truly profound way and poignant way. And I would say that goes even triple for um, the Watchmen where you know, the, the dramatic stuff obviously is there and it works because this is a story about, you know, familial trauma, generational trauma, and how that informs this, this I mean, be, family. I mean, be, be clear, Eric, it's about race. It's a show about race. It's, it's, it, it, is, it is a show about black pain being transmogrified into superhero superpowers. White, uh, white superpowers. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's um and it, it shouldn't have worked this well. Like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh the commentary has again against white supremacy being the beating heart and the bone marrow of policing in the United States. They said it unflinchingly, they didn't do the both sides thing. There wasn't like the proverbial good cop. The quote unquote good cop turned out to be uh, the leader of the Cyclops, the, the equivalent of the KKK. Mm-hmm. Like they, they did not mince words. They did not, you know, have this sort of, obviously like we are rooting for um, Regina King's character. Cause we love Regina and she is the central protagonist, but she's flawed too. She's not a good cop. She's a person trying to be better. That's a different, different thing. And yeah, th- it, it just, it did everything I wanted it to do and, I, and everything that I was worried about happening, whether it was going to do the liberal, you know, equivocating prevarication on like, you know, we got to work with the people we don't like either. Like goes back to that Ryan Johnson argument I was saying, but it was, it was no, like these people are enemies and we're going to fucking liquefy them. And that's what happens. Yeah. yeah it, and, and to that point, j- just on a pure, the, sh- it, the show was made better on an uh on a critical level because of how and like you know a technical and quality level because of how just purely entertaining it was to watch and to be getting away with saying as much as it did and also uh you know be as good and like as poppy as it was was truly amazing i mean even even the subtleties where when uh when Looking Glass watches the video of Ozymandias explaining to Robert Redford that the entire, like the deep state thing, basically like Lindelof found little ways to make fun of the deep state and that type of shit. Like it's all of the stuff is in there and it's both, it feels both relevant culturally and it's a blast to watch and show me the other show like that. Well, well, Hey guys. Hey, I, I feel like, Watching it and having Dr. Manhattan be black meant a lot to me. I think that it, it was, again, another one of these moments in this show that was just really cool. Again, seeing black superheroes, having black stories presented on screen, and then really talking about, again, the, the cycle, like Eric said, of repeated trauma, but then having it be like, okay, the black man is God. The black woman, in the end, is God as well. And I thought that that, you know, I was a little kind of, eyebrow raised a little bit, but then I, I heard, you know, Lindelof's, uh, his stance on it on the podcast. And that made me, or, you know, the, the official Watchmen podcast. And that made me feel a lot better about it because he actually studied this, you know, and he had the people there, even if he wasn't the right person to tell that part, he, he knew people that could help him bring that story to life. Yeah. And, and then he even did get the, the line in the show through, uh, Ozymandias, uh, in case anyone wasn't paying attention. Uh, the uh, John, it's 2009. This sort of thing is appropriation. Yeah, it it, it it made to me the show go way harder than I than you could even ever imagine. Not only just having a woman at the forefront of it, but having you know telling a story about black people that not a lot of people may have known. You know the Tulsa the Tulsa massacre. Yeah, and then, just on that level, it was a it was an incredibly significant show. Exactly. And um, yeah, I, I just thought everything about this show, like, it, you know, it even made me kind of emotional having, you know, seeing a true, true story of, of, of real like black love. On yeah, screen. I think to that point, I think one of the best moments of TV all year is when 
she, I mean, you, you, you don't even actually see him at that point. So it's all her delivering the lines, but it's when she wakes him up with the hammer and the, uh, Reznor's version of life on Mars starts to play. And she says, uh, baby, we're in fucking trouble. Like it's, it's maybe the best moment of TV all year. It's so good. I, I raise you that and say the moment where he where he's in the uh, in that contraption and he says you know she says why'd you bring me here and he's like I didn't want to die alone yeah and the, I, the, I, the best moment can't go to a moment that made me cry oh okay okay it, it has to be a fist pumping moment I I just I just think I just thought that every everything here was just manufactured perfectly I mean shout out to HBO for even like kind of just allowing that you know what I'm saying yeah. to 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 be there and. There um, are there are a few moments I will say when he looked a little bit goofy. I think uh, when he was kind of like the Kale Manhattan hybrid in the final act of the show. But for the for the amount I was worried about him looking, he looked more or less fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you know, for I mean, for a show that has such a crazy budget, yeah, I would imagine that the actual Manhattan budget probably uh, would have to go to you know, shows or movies that have to uh, eat that budget up with, yeah, with, with yeah. Uh, visual effects. But I thought that everything looked spectacular. I thought Watchmen was great. A, a gift. It was a gift. And I, I, I will think about the Hooded Justice origin story probably every day for the next few years just because of how I've never seen a, 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 a TV show tonally like shot like that like it goes into this kind of neo-noir black and white should not have worked stage play where like regina king her she's kind of swapping in like every time the camera revolves around hooded justice you know played by uh or you know portrayed by her grandfather sometimes she's in the in the police suit back in the 20s or the 30s in new york and they're walking through like saloon doors in the middle of the street that are just there it becomes like this really surreal almost like Baz Luhrmann kind of play. Absolutely. And um, yeah. And it's just, like I said, audacious. It says cops and the clan go hand in hand, which is, you know, great by me. Um, that's, 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 we need more of that baby. Um, and yeah. And then it just gets the nuances of, of like, like Justin said, it's black love back, black families and black and black superheroes. And the, black, the, the black couple with their son who looks exactly like Jack white from white stripes. Well, what's crazy was that they they were they were a family they were a mixed family they yeah, were they were yeah. a blended family and again it shows that you know America is not just black and white America is black and white it, it's brown it's yeah. you know it, it's a lot of things and I'm glad you brought that up I'm glad you brought that up because I I I almost did the eye roll thing when I found out she did have white kids I was like oh here we go like because I think liberals think interracial relationships or interracial um, you know, just families is a sign of progress, but sometimes that can be regressive because sometimes just having two black people is, is all you need. You don't need this, like, you don't need white, white kids. People. Yeah. You don't need this insertion of white people, but then you find out she adopted them because their white friends got killed by the, during the white night. And that just shows you like her real superpowers being like this maternalistic, you know, protector. Regina King didn't need superpowers to be the superhero. You know what I mean? I thought that was really, really powerful. And one time for the soundtrack, which I think is the most I've ever listened to the soundtrack for anything. Oh, you love yeah, that soundtrack. Yeah, you've been bumping it. Reznor, <laughs> the god. Um, Uncut Gems. Yeah, let's get into it, baby. The gems are very much uncut. 
pals. So uh, going into this, of course, you know, it, even in this, this episode, Eric has been very adamant about talking about Adam Sandler. This is this is <laughs> this is your moment, pal. Uh, Adam Sandler, over over thirty years in the game at this point, really kind of hitting a, a new nadir with Uncut Gems, which drops uh, this week. In, uh, in, in Wait, a new nadir, new zenith. How about that? High point. Yeah, Zenith. You said you said Nadir because when you meant rock bottom, you were thinking of a mine. <laughs> so he, he's reached a new zenith with uh, the Safdie brothers' uncut gems, which drops this week in wide release. Um, I have to say, I didn't expect a lot from this movie based off trailers. I think the actual reviews when they started to pour in, and, and of, of course, Eric, uh, you know, Eric, you're really adamant about Sandler, so I don't always listen. I'm, Eric, I'm sorry. I just Eric, don't. Eric, why don't you talk just a little bit about Sandler's career leading to Uncut Gems? All right. I'm glad you uh, – I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes. First yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I could go on for days about this, as Justin uh, aptly alluded to. Because, yeah, I, I, I do suffuse, suffusive praise for the Sandman to the point where people tune out, and I don't blame him. Um, he is the lizard brain king. He is always <laughs> – um, He's always spoken to the man child and all of us. And I, but, but without, he's always, he was the, the original sweet boy. You know what I mean? Like he was a, he was a frat boy doofus, but he always had this level of sweetness that made him tolerable. And as we all know, anybody of, of any age, I think he sort of transcended generations. Like I think he speaks to millennials and zoomers in equal measure, but he had like uh, to redeploy uh, the word nadir. He kind of did hit a nadir in around 2010 when he was doing like his second Grown Ups movie, which was just abysmal. Right, and, right after he made Funny People. Yeah, uh, Adam Sandler kind of suffered from the same Will Smith complex, where when he would take creative leaps and do these really dramatic all tour projects, or even just like against type they weren't funny they were kind of dark and solemn and they didn't do well financially he would revert back and do some of the worst shit ever and yeah funny people should have been a huge hit but it was kind of his first mainstream bomb it was judd apatow's first mainstream and i say bomb lightly it did okay yeah but it's crazy that like he made punch drunk love in 2002 and then in 2010 he's making grown-ups like that's a strange trajectory yeah and then you know he got that blank check from Netflix to sort of course correct. And then he made some of his worst movies with Netflix. He made the ridiculous six, which had the uh, problematic native native American uh, representation where a bunch of native American actors walked off the set and uh, to give him credit, even though, you know, he, he admitted he fucked up and he was tone deaf and stuff. He was one of the few comics to actually take fault in one thing. Yeah, he was doing like the Sandy Wexlers and all this stuff. And Eric, was, I would like, say, uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I would say the we can't gloss over his true bottoming out, which was 11, 12, 13, which was in that order. Jack and Jill, That's My Boy, and Grown Ups 2. I think yeah. that was the point when it was like, oh, okay, it's it's over. It's a, it's kind of over for the God, and it may, in a, in a, in a different world, it might have been, but then Netflix came through and kind of, threw him that life preserver and was like, you're a cultural staple. Maybe we'll give you this different creative outlet for you to like pump these movies out and pump those movies out. He did. Cause it was like, he probably wrote these scripts in a week and they were just cringy. Did, and did you like Sandy, Sandy Wexler, Eric? 
No, but his performance is so insane. Yeah, it <laughs> uh, looks what a, a manager is family. Yeah, and and then he falls in love with Jennifer Hudson, and it's just weird. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird fucking movie, and even stalwart Sandler fans like me were beginning to be like, oh no, there's no coming back from this. Like twenty, you know, comedy. It's hard to age gracefully in comedy, as we all know, but. Sandman really took one of the more precipitous dives. Like his boys, Ben Stiller and and you know the pals he grew up with weren't struggling in the same way because they they stretched their wings and started doing different stuff. But then Sandler came back with um, he had the Meyerwood stories on Netflix, which is part of Noah, Noah Baumbach's movie, and it reminded people that he could fucking act and he's incredible in it. He's heartbreaking in it. He it plays to his strengths where he's kind of this sad sack with a burst of anger, but also very funny. And that sort of got him back in the awards chatter. And it was like, went from zero to a hundred. Like we're about to write this guy off for doing Jack and Jill shit. And now he's sort of back in the, in the golden globe Oscar talk. And then he came right behind that with, on the heels with his standup special, um, hundred percent fresh. And that won everybody back. He was like, this is the Sandman we know and love. The musicality was there. The sweetness was there. The raunchiness was there, but he's almost like embarrassed of his own raunchiness. Yeah, now. it was like family friendly raunchiness almost. Yes, perfect way to put it. Like he he's a wife guy for a lot of the stand up. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean he's a wife guy, but like, and that's that's sort of the thing people forget. I think I know I'm kind of going in the circles here, but Sandler was Jim Carrey big. Like I, I don't want to say Tom Cruise and Will Smith big, but he was a he was a global phenom. Uh, a rare breed that we don't really get to see anymore. But he's the only one of those guys who didn't go crazy. Like he didn't do the Scientology thing. He didn't do the Jim Carrey, whatever fuck he's doing these days. With yeah. The, uh, he just, he like, just spent time, all his money on triple XL DC clothes. Yeah. <laughs> like he didn't do the Jim Carrey, like time is an illusion. Uh, he didn't kill his girlfriend. Kind of. Oh, thing. Wow. oh yeah. Thank you. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that one. I was waiting for that. <laughs> Like he really, he really is just like a family guy, and like he he's avoided scandal in his thirty five year career, and then I think it culminated with that Netflix special that came out. Two yeah, years, is it two years now? No, it was a, it and was then, a year ago. And like, and then he's been riding the goodwill of that uh, since, like, which brings SNL us to first. all of us watching Murder Mystery earlier this year. Yeah, and then he finally made the first like netflix comedy that he had done obviously we all love you know bombax thing and, and his special but the first movie he did was yeah murder mystery which was bad but watchable like it was fun like i don't think i wasted my time watching it i think all three of us had the same reaction which was we were sitting at home on a, like got home from work on a friday turned it on and we were like wow i'm watching a Sandler movie and I, i'm still and it's good it. Yeah. and it wasn't and it wasn't it wasn't racist it wasn't like you know cringy it <laughs> yeah was, it was dated. I, I can watch him and jennifer aniston walk around for an hour and a half this is good so yeah. uh that leads us to uncut gems a uh a crime thriller uh, yeah. where Sandler stars as Howard Ratner, who is a, I mean, he's a, he's a, a jeweler, a, a a gambling addict, a cheater, a father, a brother, all of that, all of the above. Um, as we walk through a really crazy two or three weeks in his life where we see that his life is essentially crumbling because of his addiction. But I mean, he's gambling on more than just basketball games. He's gambling with his yeah. life as he gets into a, a really bad deal uh, with his brother-in-law 
who he wants his money. Okay. <laughs> and, and the, the slow reveal that it is his brother-in-law is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. And it's, it's heartbreaking too when they're at that dinner and, and they're all sitting around there and they won't even look at him. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those movies that, I mean, I, I had been anticipating it for a while because Safety Brothers came onto my uh, my radar hard with Good Time. Yeah, um, same. Two, so I've, I've been waiting for that follow-up. And when that teaser dropped, not even the teaser, it was just like sets, set photos of Sandman and like Gucci loafers, pierced ears, a goatee, gelled hair, like looking just like like an absolute car salesman, like shyster. And that's anti-Semitic to say, but I'm allowed to say it. Um, is shyster is uh, is shyster the name of a character or is it a word? No, Shylock is a character, right? Yeah, Shylock is a person, and a shyster is someone who that was that's like not. I don't want to. How do I phrase it? It, it, it just means like it, it means it means Jew lawyer, basically. Okay, <laughs> like like, but with a negative connotation. Oh yeah, I mean it's hard to have positive. Well, that's the brutal irony of this movie is like if anyone else made this movie like this is like this could be like Richard Spencer's wet dream like this is how he sees all Jews and black people <laughs> <laughs> just like loud and greedy and all that shit uh, but th this place like th it, it goes back to the punch drunk love thing when Paul Thomas Anderson literally walked onto the set of Mr. Deeds you know like a broad silly Adam Sandler movie back in 2000 with the script for Punch Drunk Love, he was like, you know, Paul Thomas Harrison was at the peak of his powers. He just did Magnolia and Boogie Nights, and he's like the young 29-year-old phenom, Oscar-winning king, coming to the comedy king to do this really somber... You guys hear me? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Uh, uh, this really somber, weird, uh, uh, a surrealist kind of drama, and also romantic, and Sandler knocked it out of the fucking park because he is like this melancholic dude behind all the goofiness he's like sad and angry he kind of is the sad clown yeah he's truly the sad clown and the safties these young these young upstarts these young jewish kids is like who make movies about working class hustle uh picked you know one of the richest stars in the world to like get back in his element of being like this sort of unpredictable chaos agent and yeah he, they found the man in sandman to play this diamond dealer who operates on compulsion and compulsion alone he's addicted to not just gambling but like the just the thrill of transaction like everything he yeah does is transactional and measure. and just like the Even, every chance you have to improve your life you instead make it more dangerous yeah and it became so obsessed with the fantasy i know we're skipping around a little bit but like i think the most important or not most important but like one of the more like thematic punchlines of the movie is when he's in the closet at his at his mistress's house and he's texting her from the closet like oh i'm in the i'm in the car coming to see you baby what are you wearing kind of thing he's right in front of her and he's getting off pretending that he's not there getting her to do something that she wouldn't be doing you know what i mean yeah like he, he could he could just walk out and have sex with her that he's hiding in the closet playing a fantasy game with her and like that's more sexually thrilling to him and that just shows you the sort of perverse nature he has with gambling and relationships with people he has to have one over on somebody every time yeah can we talk about the the texting in the closet scene was one of the justin mentioned this in the text but other than the soundtrack of the movie uh the texting and the the green texting in the closet yeah. was one of the moments where i was like this is 2012.com man yeah this is so <laughs> good actually uh 
before we actually get into the movie, I should, I, I'd be remiss to uh, ignore the actual plot in the actual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, go for it. Uh, uh, Sandler does he he receives an expensive uh, expensive gem that he purchased an opal, an opal to that he, that he got to pay off all of his debts, uh, which he immediately receives. And, bl- and literally ruins as soon as he gets the gem. And that is the, the crux of the story. Uh, a chance meeting with Kevin Garnett in which he receives the opal at the same time, the serendipitous in, in the way that it happens. Uh, KG sees success, he sees the universe, he sees his past in this gem. He, this man's feeling the gem. They trade the gem for Kevin Garnett's Celtics championship ring, which he won in 2008. And yep. from there, we're all, oh, actually no, we're not off yet. We, he gives he gives them in, and then Howard trades the ring for a bet on sports, and, and that's where we start. It's gonna be bad once that happens. Absolutely, yeah. and so it's one of those moments where you're like, no, 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 and he does it anyway, and uh, that's where we start the movie off. And and the scene that you guys are talking about is when he uh, is linking up with his his uh, his side chick, so to speak, Julia Fox, who is tremendous in yeah. this movie. Uh, very 2012 in the way that, that this is played out. And, and I have to say that more than anything, I love the attention to detail of the 2012-ness of this movie. They must yeah. have had like a, a guy specifically hired, like a 2012 coordinator. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they lived it. I think that we could do 2012 as well. Like, we could, we but it. they really nailed it. Yeah. It's a period piece without drawing attention to it. Like, it's it's a universe so much, it's so lived in that it still feels like present day until it isn't you know what i mean like i hate when movies like do the nostalgia thing when it's in the 80s and it like zooms into a poster of back to the future like hey you're in 1986 like it doesn't do any of that it's just like texture already and it it makes it feel that much more it's like somehow both alien and instantly recognizable yeah yeah and and that kind of creates the that sense of anxiety and and dread that sort of permeates the whole thing because like as soon as that movie starts uh, one point of tricks. What's what's the uh, composer's name? Dot never. Yeah, yeah. Never. Like the soundtrack is blaring. Everyone His score for Good Time is amazing other. too. Yeah, and it's like it creates this sort of it's like foreground music. It's not even background music. It's like part of the movie, and like people are talking over the background music, so it creates this sense of anxiety. You're like, I can't. I need to breathe. Nobody's breathing right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and and then you know, and then him running around town trying to pay off these bets and. But while he's paying off one bet, he started another one, and it creates this avalanche of chaos that he just can't resolve because he doesn't want to. He's like he gets off on it. It's the and, only uh, thing he, he can only ride it. He can't like live in it settled. Yeah, exactly. And um, well, yeah, I think he I does. I, I think he does want to. I think he does want to get the at least get the opal back. I think that's like the big thing in the movie where it's like he's literally chasing down his homeboy trying to get the opal back. Yeah, and he his his. Oh man, his homeboy is is, is okay. Ju- Justin, frequent Lakeith critic, what did you think in this movie? I thought it was fine here. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I thought it was fine in this I movie. Like I, here. I thought he was good in Knives Out too. Yes, yes. I I, I thought he was. Uh, I would have liked to see more of him and Craig together in Knives Out. I thought they were pretty funny off of each other. Yeah, I I, I thought he was fine here as as Damani, uh, his his assistant, and essentially. If I'm not getting this wrong, he is a guy that he hires to basically uh, play like 
kind of like a, a distraction, kind of bring bringing people into his shop, but kind of they, they kind of butter them up to bring him to Howard so that they'll buy something from him. And yeah. then Damani will actually give Howard watches that he wants sold. Uh, and then they kind of work off of each other like that. Again, a transactional relationship, which he treats yeah. as transactional throughout the movie. I mean, remember when they went to the, the, the Boston, uh, they went to go to their, their training, their practice, uh, their practice during the, the playoffs, and he just leaves Howard there and he just like doesn't even say anything to him for like a whole day because he knows yeah, he's not going to give him the opal back. Yeah. Yeah. The, it is a, every relationship is defined on, on like point scoring. Like I'm going to give one up on you. Like, Oh, you, you fucked up my fake Rolex little hustle. So I'm going to like take my time with your magic rock that, you know, you got from Ethiopia and spent all this money and, and, and actual like physical labor to get. And that speaks to broader, Thing. I think the Safdies are really smart in that way where they kind of inject a social socio-political message without hitting you over the head with it. Because like in good time, you could really zoom out and be like, this is a movie about white privilege because Robert Pattinson's getting away with all these crimes. First of all, he like wears a black mask when he's robbing banks and stuff. And he gets away with all these crimes because he's a white kid. And like all the, all his black, all the black people who come into his orbit get punished. Yeah. And same way in this in the same way in this movie it opens up with Ethiopian miners literally breaking their bodies to retrieve this precious gem. Amazing sequence. Amazing sequence. And it and it literally has cosmic as a, a ripple effect across the cosmos, all for this one idiot in New York City to solve <laughs> this like for for his small world problems. And it's like, yeah, this this whole this whole series of events of like losing the opal, trying to pay off the bets trying to get KG to buy it and win this championship. Like it is all kicked off by literal black labor and black pain. It's like, it's, um, it's, it's gnarly, man. These, these kids are really on it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, this movie to me, just like in good time, it, it doesn't follow set piece by set piece. It's really just kind of like day in the life type, type thing here. Um, uh, uh, there are a few very intense set pieces though. I'll say when he gets locked in the trunk at the school, him running through that is pretty great. Yeah, well, he, well, that was what I wanted to bring up is, is that, you know, his, his brother-in-law, the the escalation of the punishment that he gives him each time or his enforcers give him each time, it raises. And, I, and you, know, the, you know, I don't want to talk about the end here. I want to skip ahead. But, like, it does make sense why that happens at the end, right? Because they, yeah. everything they do to him escalates every single time he sees them. Like, they're getting way more upset with him to a point where there's a breaking point. And I, and I thought that, like, him pushing his luck every single time, like slapping the guys. And, you know, I, this guy really thought he was unbeatable. And I thought that that was really kind of like Howard really isn't a good person. You just want him to win because that's just what we want as as viewers. Yeah. But Howard is actually bad. Protagonist. Yeah. He, he's the protagonist, but like he's not a good guy. He's he's oh, put no. his family. He's put his family and his life at risk. He is not only that, not just his family, he is literally robbing and stealing from his family in yeah. a sense where it's like he's not giving them their money back, but he's giving yeah. them like these half measures. And not only that, he doesn't care about his own life. Yeah. Yeah. He he exploits and manipulates to the point where people who are like I, I think this movie does a good job. Sorry, I'm all over the place. It's it goes. It goes back to what you're saying about his family. Like he, he's putting his family in danger, and, and you know he, he neglects his wife that she wants a divorce, but she's waiting till after Passover to tell the kids. But like a stock character like Julia Fox's quote unquote mistress, like she could have been really thinly written and like just been like this money grubbing sort of 
you know, sexually promiscuous girl who just wants to like fuck a guy with money. But like she she is like the only moral character in this movie. It's like, even though she is like us, uh, knowingly cheating on this, you know, helping this guy have an affair. Like she kind of comes out as like the, I mean, there's no good people in this movie really, but she kind of emerges as like the most sympathetic out of all of them. She just like, is a young girl who got taken for a ride by this master manipulator. And and that's really Um, because, and that's really, you know, to say that she's just as consistent as Howard is just in a different way. Like yeah, oh, she, that's, that's a good point. She's consistent in that she is all about him, you know. It, but she's—I mean, she's young, obviously, but she's also really all about him. Whereas Howard is really just consistently all about himself and in, in every single aspect of life. And you know, even to the point where he he manipulates her to go all the way to Mohegan's son with this money, and she does it blindly. And it's just like he put her life in danger too. Yeah, put her put her in the crosshairs of all the you know the Russian Jew thugs who are chasing after him. And then the only person who's helping her is this skeezy helicopter guy who was one of my favorite characters. The Tan King. He was so good. Twice in one day, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just totally helpfully grabs the money and takes it out to the limo. He's just a nice guy. Yeah, he like didn't even want. He was like okay with her not wanting to sleep with him. Like he wasn't like a skis ball. He was like, "No, I'll help you, babe. Three times in one day, I love you." <laughs> uh, the number kept going up. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. What? A, yeah, he like wound up being like, yeah, he was like a Vegas like sleaze ball who wasn't a sleaze ball. It's like a really funny turn of events for a character. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, you know, you know, the movie is leading to a bleak and inescapable ending or conclusion, and. You just don't know how and when, and then when it does happen, you're just like out of nowhere. I, I, I have I felt like I felt like I got punched in the uh, esophagus, like I couldn't breathe. It was nuts. So that the final sequence is insane. So the the let's get to that before. But before we get to that, let's get to the crux of the, of the story here that we're kind of we're kind of bouncing around. Um, but let, the solidness of it, like the main conflict here, is that Howard does get the opal back, uh, and he offers. Garnett offers Howard money for it, but he's like, no, I don't want the money because he feels as though he could get appraised and he can auction it off for way more. He convinces yeah. his father-in-law to bid on it at the auction to drive up the price with Garnett there. So he ex- he's expecting that Garnett's going to go high, as high as a million dollars on, on this Opal. It doesn't happen. And they're stuck Not even with the most. It, it, it stuck at the, it stuck at what, like 190K? Uh, yeah, I think it goes for 190 at the auction. And they have to end up paying for it. And it's like, at that point, I'm like, all right, this, I, I think, you know, me watching it, my, my heart is just like, the amount of money that's just being bled out here is just like, he's already in debt. He's yeah. even more yeah. debt at this and point. And his father-in-law at the end is like, you have, you, you have to pay the, the VIG, so you owe me like another 38000 on top of the one ninety. Insane. Yeah. Eric, what, what, were you, what was going through your mind when you were looking at just, just going, you know what I'm saying? Like all of all these losses he's taking, what's going through your mind at this point when you're watching this movie? I was like sinking deeper and deeper into my seat because there was no sunlight at the end of his tunnel. Like just when you think he finally has gotten to a point where he's like, okay, he lost all this money shuffling around Kevin KG's um, ring. He lost this beautiful opal that has cosmic powers uh, <laughs> to, to to his hustler friend who, you know, wanted just to have it around because KG did win the basketball game when he did have it in his possession. So it becomes so important to him. 
but like he he gets that he gets the cash for KG's ring, takes it to Mike Francesca to place a bet, and he wins the bet. But his brother had his two goons cancel the bet, so that movie would have got him out of debt with his brother, and he didn't even know it. So like, there's like these brutal little stabs here and there, and yeah, he's eventually just bleeding out. But once that um, auction scene comes, and he gets his stepfather, his father-in-law Judd Hirsch involved, and now he's in debt double to the same family uh, without <laughs> his own family. Yeah, without without resolving any of the other debts that he has across town, it's just like I, I felt like I needed to come up for air. Like there, the water was rising in the theater where I was sitting, and like my head was not above water anymore. Like I couldn't breathe with Adam Sandler's character. It was a uh, it was so intense. And once that auction was lost, and, and just like the the huge, like I I couldn't help but laugh. It's so comedically written when he has inflated the importance of this. Um, to this to this gym of this of this uh, Ethiopian opal to everybody, he's like, oh, it's going to be worth one million, and then the people immediately wrote it down to hundred k. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy cannot escape his own hubris, and, it's, and he's uh, so but, annoying. <laughs> yeah, he's such a but, and that and that's a good point. Like I was watching that too. Like you could tell ten years ago, so I guess in two thousand two, he was probably on top of the world. Like people probably really liked him and believed him and would fall for his little schemes. But there's like there's a his confidence had aged like he wasn't as fast on his feet or as persuasive as he once was and no one fucks with this guy anymore because he is like yeah just annoying little twerp and uh yeah it was just hard to watch him take so many l's after l's especially when that w was right on the horizon and he had it and then he squandered it away he pissed it away immediately yeah so uh he essentially manages to negotiate with kevin garnett after they lose the opal to purchase it for around the price, not as much, but he, he'd still have to pay. But he, he, I know a lot of the, the the hits that he would have taken by having to pay for it himself, he wouldn't have to because he was just going to sell it to KG for like 175k, I think. Yeah, uh, I think I had yeah. it written down it. Um, so instead of immediately paying off his debts, <laughs> this is so epic. Howard places another bet on Kevin Garnett's game that night for even more, hoping to double his money, the, the, pay off all of his debts, and he'll have the more. The of him giving the money to Julia Fox and her sneaking out with it is so good. Yeah. yeah. So, so the heavies arrive at the store. Uh, Howard, of course, you know she, Julia is already uh, she's already left, and then Julia is the, is the is the uh, mistress. She already, she's already left to place the bet, and he locks the thugs. Um, inside, there's like a like a, a small little uh, like what is, what is it like before the for the doorway like, like the airlock I guess yeah it's like it's like an airlock or, or like a vestibule it's like a, a vestibule it's like a security checkpoint yeah that's exactly what it is and you know in the beginning of the movie they kind of show that it's broken and it's not working checkpoint airlock yes and he, he locks it in and you're on the edge of your seat here because I, again I had forgotten about this this game seven. <laughs> Way back in 2012. Yeah, yeah this it was epic. Between uh, Boston and the 76ers. Uh, and here we are where we, we have uh, essentially, you know, they're waiting on KG to win this game. They, he's already bet that they win the tip-off and that KG would have so many points. But he's also, the big bet was that he'd win the game. He wins the game. Uh, they, they're like a million dollars richer at this point. Because he's gotten every single, you know, every single thing checked off as far as like what he would get more money for. And, exactly. And even Arno, his brother-in-law, is hyped about it because he knows just how much money it is. And and that they'll be getting the money back that night. Yeah. But but of course, 
he, he releases them only for uh, Phil, the, the main heavy, to immediately shoot him in the head. Crazy. Yeah. Just the, the little gun, the like subtle shot to the head. It's like the instantaneousness with which it ends. Insane. It, yeah. I, I was speechless. Yeah, I was absolutely speechless. Um, it, it finally felt... Sorry, it finally felt like... Um, the tide had turned and like it i knew it i was like this can't be this has to be too good to be true like something is still around the corner and it wasn't around the corner it's directly in front of him like mm-hmm. he he won this big bet the the music crescendos and, and that's just a sign of excellent filmmakers too where it's like i i remember this game i knew the celtics were gonna win but i was still watching like wait are they gonna win yeah it is based on the real game like when you can turn a real historical event that you know how it ends into a thrill ride that's a you know, a sign of really, really tense and powerful filmmakers. But yeah, he, he, he wins the parlay, just like he said, but, and Arno, the, the guy he owes money, who turns out being his, his brother-in-law, he was at, it was the first time you see him crack a smile the whole time. He's like, my fucking crazy brother-in-law did it. This fucking asshole led me on this wild goose chase, but it all paid off. Finally, I don't have to kill him. And then one of his heavies actually does put one between his eyes. And he tells him at the beginning of the movie that he's going to kill him. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think he, even even his surprise to went into his heavy shoots, Adam Sandler. He's like, what did you do? What did you do? Yeah. He, he never really, he hated that he had to hurt his brother. Yeah. Him, you know, like, there was, like, a sadness to that, too, as, as intimidating as he was. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the movie, of course, ends with uh, Julia leaving the casino, and they rob the jewelry store, but not before Phil, <laughs> not before Phil shoots uh, Arno, right before everything yeah. is like, yeah, Phil is cold-blooded. Crazy. This yeah, the, this is going to be a really shitty day for that family. Yeah, they just lost their two sons. Both <laughs> patriarchs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it does kind of tie into, like, the whole Passover thing. Like, the, the firstborn was killed, and so was the pharaoh. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, um, you know, that's why it goes back to what I said in my letterbox review about this being a very Jewish movie. I know we want to talk about it being a Christmas movie, which I still think it is. But it is there. All right, let, let's get into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. how, how is this the Christmas movie? How isn't it or how is it? How, how is it? How is it a Christmas movie? Well, I mean, I think that uh, Christmas and Hanukkah still go pretty hand in hand. And it is being widely released on Christmas. Yeah. Like, even Jews like Christmas. Like, uh, we still... that we Isn't I mean, going I to the know, movie theater on Christmas a pretty Jewish thing? Chinese restaurant and movie theater, yeah. Um, but I grew up in a dual religion household so i i did have christmas and but i would remember my jewish friends who were only celebrated hanukkah like no christmas is the shit like everybody's festive there's music everywhere and we still get the days off too (laughs) (laughs) you don't even stupid work yeah it it is a it is like a, a holiday a gift a gift to jews too and also just like christmas is like transcends being a fucking holiday for like just christians because it's so part of america because we stole it from pagans yeah, it's just like it's it's you see commercials for Christmas in August. Like Christmas is uh, it's just like a event. It's not even like a religious holiday anymore. It's just like ten percent of the year that we all love. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I so I think any movie that comes out in this time frame in this window of time and released on Christmas Day, even if it is about like Jewish hustle, <laughs> is about is a is a Christmas movie. I, I give it I give it the Christmas uh, seal of approval. Also, is a movie that examines uh, our uh, our enslavement via capital, not the ultimate 
Christmas uh, spirit movie. I lost you. The what of capital? It, it examines our enslavement via capital, and that's basically yeah. uh, something we all just ignore during Christmas. So, yeah, exactly. We're just consumers upon consumers, uh, exchanging exchanging capital for more gifts that we don't need. It's you know, kind of the the moral of the story uh, of um, Uncut Gems too. Just transaction after transaction until we can't breathe anymore. Yeah, I was watching this movie like I need to change my ways and like become a monk or something. Yeah, you're living too wild on StockX. <laughs> I, I just look at it like the way that, that Howard runs the the the, uh, the betting game, that is literally me on Grilled in StockX. Every yeah. I was just watching the movie like, man, I have a lot of vices, but thank God I am not a gambler. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Not not at all. Gambling movies are like horror movies. Like uh, that Jake Johnson movie he made with, uh, uh, what's his name? God damn it. Uh, it was a Netflix movie. Um, oh, I know. So I, I, I know which one you're talking about. I, I didn't see it though. Uh, it's like called like Win. Fuck. Oh, Win It All. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Joe, Joe Swanberg. Sorry. Yeah. So Jake Johnson made a movie with Joe Swanberg. It's sort of the same thing. Uh, he's just a gambling addict who has to like pay off a bunch of bets. It's it's a little more small world than than um, Uncut Gems, but it's just like the adrenaline. The you're watching this guy make bad decision after bad decision, knowing he doesn't have to it just like consumes you on the inside it's hard to watch man so are we going to keep uncut gems in the video store when it arrives on digital and dvd (laughs) (laughs) i think it is a uh early video store classic i I think um, this this will have a long shelf life in my life and everybody who sees it i think we uh all were unanimous and it's instant classic uh sensibility um i haven't seen anything quite like it in a while man it's uh it's it's a gnarly one definitely a top sandler pick in my eyes i'm not i've never been the hugest sandler fan but this is he he deserves all of the accolades this year whatever he gets i think he deserves it for yeah. sure i think him and lupita they deserve they both deserve oscars for the movie. yeah I, I wouldn't be mad at that at all um yeah. I, I, I gotta say, as much as we, I think it's, I'm not telling any tales out of school. We all know I think Brad deserves a uh, best supporting actor, but I would love it if KG got a, an Oscar nomination. Or at least a nod, for sure. K, KG's great in this movie. I, I absolutely, I didn't know he had it in him. I'll just say that. The, the conversation between him and Howard, where he's like, so, you know, you exploited these monks to double your money, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the heart of the of the movie is the conversation between him and KG and Garnett knocks the scene out of the park. Yeah, he's yeah. like, it's fucked up that you exploited a bunch of Ethiopians to get this jewel that you don't give, like you just kind of toss around like it's play money. Like that's fucked up. Like that's like literally the the, the ethos of capitalism. Like it's uh and it's uh it's also yeah. a great moment for Howard because then he's the that's when Howard gives his like this is how I win speech and the yes. way he equates him winning with Garnett winning is just the most trumped up mumbo jumbo bullshit speech. It doesn't make any sense at all yeah. if you actually it's, break it's it down. Brutal, man. It, it's hard to watch because he's basically signing his own death warrant when he's giving that speech, like his own eulogy. He was writing his own eulogy. Um, yeah, and 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 Garnett's like facial acting. He's like squinching his eyebrows. Like, what are you even saying to me? Yeah, right now? yeah. <laughs> he's like, you sound insane, but whatever, man. You're gonna win me money. I'll listen. And but- then when he's watching Howard make the bet on him, he's like, this dumbass is so crazy. Yeah, 
And I, I always thought, K, I like KGA. He's never, like, I hate Paul Pierce just off principle, but, like, I never had any problems with KG, but I just assumed he was sort of like a charisma vacuum. Like, we all know LeBron is, like, the charm king. That's why he's good in movies. Yeah. But I didn't think KG had it in him, but he's unreal in this. Really, really good. Uh, and Uncut Gems, I, I think definitely top contender for movie of the year and definitely in my Ooh. top five of the year. 100%. Uh, proved me wrong. I was worried I was worried you weren't going to like it, Justin. I was I was waiting with bated breath. I thought you were going to be like, it was all right. No, nah, this is this is extremely my shit. This is my shit. I, 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 like, I like movies like this. Eric, I think Justin and I were talking about this at some point earlier this year, but we did the three of us, the four of us do a pretty good job of like, liking everything but like each one of us kind of likes something that like the other people don't like and we don't all yeah. always like the same shit but there are a few movies where like if the other people don't like it it's going to be stressful because of how much the other people do and thank yeah. god this was not one of those fucking movies <laughs> yeah. I, I believe yeah. cam loved it too yeah cam liked it a lot i mean i from what i've what i've spoken to him about it, he really liked it yeah so uh any any holiday shout outs before we before we sign off for the year you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of anything. I don't. Uh, you know, I'm gonna give a holiday shout out to the CGI Crawl Gators, who I still, uh, I still got to rewatch Crawl. Yeah, definitely yeah. worth worth a second watch. Uh, I want to shout out everyone. Go ahead. Sorry, go, sorry. Go ahead, Justin. My fault. I just want to shout out everybody that's listened to the show all year, and uh, whether you're whether you are Don Cheadle and Shea Serrano. Uh, Edie Patterson, anyone who, who, is, who has shown our shows, uh, namely our TV and film shows, any type of love, we're going we're gonna to go so hard in 2020 uh, with these shows. And, you know, this is, we're, we're nearing our, our second year on, on Late Fees. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's incredibly insane that, that we've gotten this far, but, you know, going into 2020, there isn't, a, there isn't another show or another group of guys that I would, I would, uh, I want to be talking about the, cinematic experiences with than these guys on Leaf Feet. So thank you. Thank you. Shout, shout out to my co-host as well. Yeah, I, I actually do, uh, do want to give a holiday shout out to Eric, who, as I was realizing, I was missing the last Everything's Great of the year. Uh, maybe the most star-studded Everything's Great of the year. And also, uh, Eric, uh, the most commendable year of someone's life, I think that I know personally going from the, the unfair troubles you experienced just about a year ago to uh, a complete turnaround. Uh, what a, what an awesome. No, time. same year. This is all the same year. Yeah, no, I know I'm saying that was January to December. Yeah. It's uh, pretty surreal to, it, it feels like a, a century ago because it sort of like froze time for me, but uh, that's why my, I appreciate the kind words and yeah, it has been a wild bounce back. Um, but yeah, and it goes back to you guys. Like uh, you guys were in my corner from jump and didn't didn't waver once. So I owe a lot of that resilience to y'all, not to get corny. Um, and then having this show as like a outlet for us to like have another excuse to kick bullshit around about movies and shoot the shit, and have some fun. Like Justin, Justin provided us that platform, and uh, this has uh, been a hell of a year, boys. And if I'm gonna give a movie movie holiday shout out. I would tell the listeners to go back and watch High Flying Bird. Uh, I feel like that's being that's being left off a lot of end of the year lists, and that deserves some love. Absolutely, I, I love that movie as well. A lot of people were very down on it, though. I, I, I actually stopped to watch it, so I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> you said that you can say the reviews are mixed, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> 
but uh, we we are reporting live to you guys after Christmas, but we are uh, but right before New Year, so we won't see you for the New Year. So Happy New Year! When we get back, uh, I don't think we have a solid schedule for 2020 or Jan at least January yet. But we will be talking about our <laughs> favorite movies. Interesting ideas, uh, and obviously we'll be doing some 2019 wrap up once we've seen the movies. Yes. Yeah, so next episode will be our 2019 wrap up, and we will do the reveal of our schedule for 2020, the first half of 2020, on late fees. So uh, watch every single movie, please, and so that we can spoil all of them for you. And we'll be doing our twenty our 2019 roundup next episode on late fees. So until then, for 2019, for the decade, thank you for listening to Late Fees in the video store now. Happy New Year's, pals. Happy New Year's, guys. Peace, everybody.
kind of girl you'll be seeing in the morning Too damn raw, ain't no nigga worth a holding Ain't no nigga that she holding, man, her love is too damn foreign Look at all that money, the money is the money is All that money, the money she be funny She be girl, put in work, girl, girl, put in work Girl, put in work, girl, girl, put in work